Okay. Today, my guest is Professor Parida Pananan. I'll keep my introduction short to maximize our time with her. In the next 30 minutes or so, we'll talk about Parida as a person. Professor Pananon is a thought-leader and an esteemed scholar, and finally is a mentor to many PhD students and junior faculty. For the sake of time, I'll skip many of her accomplishments and give you a very quick snapshot. Professor Pananon's research interests are how companies in emerging markets develop and expand overseas, the governance of global industries, and the upgrading of emerging market firms in global value chains. Pavida has authored a host of articles, uh, book chapters, books, and opinion editorials in mass media, such as Bangkok Post, Nikkei Asia. Her views have appeared in international media, including Al Jazeera, BBC, Bloomberg, Financial Times, South uh, China Morning Post, and others. Pavida serves on editorial boards, such as Global Strategy Journal and GIPS. In addition to academic teaching, she regularly provides briefings to diplomatic missions, chambers of commerce, and multinational companies. Thank you, Parvida, for joining us. Thank you, Vitas, for including me in your program. Of course. Uh, Parvida, uh, let's start with the beginnings, uh, early beginnings. Uh, what did you want to become when you were a child? <laughs> uh, I wanted, first, I wanted to be an architect because I like uh, beauty in buildings and I like uh, spy and art and all that. And uh, that didn't happen because in Thailand, if I want to become architect, I have to be very good in physics to enter into the faculty of architecture. And I don't think that I enjoy physics that much in my high school. So that kind of dropped and uh, I studied then in the Faculty of Commerce and I studied accounting because my father, who was an accountant, told me that this is what you can uh, get a job easily. I am uh, the elder sister of four uh, sisters altogether and my dad said that I should be doing something that would be practical for my career. So uh, that's what my father wanted me to be. But then I didn't quite enjoy it. And then the next thing that I wanted to become after studying accountant is I wanted to be a tourist guide because I still enjoy uh, learning about uh, my own country, historical buildings and all those things still, I like that. And uh, I then joined a course to become a tourist guide uh, wanting to practice as a tourist guide because I also like languages and meeting people from different countries. But then uh, I realized that tourists don't want to know too many stories and they don't want to know the kind of the in-depth story of places. So that also didn't work. And then, uh, you know, I uh, one day thinking about, uh, I then I think I live my life in the sense that I didn't know what I want to do, but I cross out what I thought that I would want to do and then kind of uh, cross it out one at a time. So, you know, liking to interact with people from different countries, I uh, went to work in the hotel industry as a part of the public relations team first, you know, enjoying telling stories about uh, Thailand, telling stories about different countries to people. Uh, but then one day I ran into uh, sort of an, an announcement for scholarship for MBA from Thammasat University. 
where I am at the moment. And at that time, it was very difficult to, to find a scholarship for MBA because, uh, you know, usually people give scholarship for uh, area like development studies, economics or politicals because Thailand is an emerging country. So people do not see the need to provide scholarship for business studies. But the university uh, gave scholarship to people who are not member of the university. So I applied for that and then I uh, got the scholarship to study MBA. So I you know, went to study at McGill University, came back, joined the university as part of the contract for the scholarship and thought that, oh, this is not a bad career as an academic and the rest is history. So I, I came across being academic by trying out different things, crossing out things that I thought I would enjoy. So you decided to get into uh, international business or uh, academia after McGill, uh, the MBA program, right? Is that it? Yes. Okay. Yes, after McGill. <clears throat> uh, something that is not on your CV that people might find interesting about you. <laughs> I am a committed runner. I am uh, quite a committed athletic uh, person. So I still uh, try to balance my life with uh, work and uh, family, social, as well as uh, quite a strict training schedule in my exercise and uh, my running activities. So. So when you say running, something that, uh, sorry, uh, when you say running, are we talking about marathon? Are we talking about uh, check and field? What, what is uh, uh, yes, uh, marathon, half marathon, and and I also wanted to become a triathlete, uh, doing triathlon, uh, cycle, swimming, and running, but it's a little difficult to live in Bangkok and to train with cycling. So that's something that I haven't been able to do. <laughs> uh, if you could do it all over again, uh, what would be the second best career choice or what, what would you do? Uh, I think I... Uh, actually, being academic is something that I quite enjoy. Uh, I would probably still enjoy being academic, but if I could become go back a little bit more. I might want to be also academic in the medical field, in the doctor field, because uh, I, in my life, I have encountered a lot of uh, illness in the family. And I feel that, you know, that to be able to understand and to be able to make people comfortable about what they know, uh, what's going on. I think that would have been something that I enjoy doing. And uh, again, you know, uh, explaining things to, to people more in the public. So I think I like that kind of the interaction that you're not just academic, uh, communicating just among academics, but being an academic who is able to communicate what you're doing to the broader society. I think that's something that I uh, enjoy doing. So. Thank you. Regrets? Any regrets in life? Uh, you know, people always say that uh, regrets are something that you should not have because life should be 
about uh, learning and possibilities and doing things. But uh, if I look back at you know what I have done, and I think one of the things that I might have done differently is uh, to write more in Thai language to 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 communicate more in uh, my own language because. I think that I have tried to uh, build my career in the international context, like uh, attending seminar, attending AIB, and try to put my work more in English. But I think that there is still a need for scholars, particularly those from emerging economies, to be able to share that knowledge that they learn in the very scholarly and academic field. To the broader society through uh, different means, not just academic uh, outlets. But I think that that's something that I uh, should have done more. But uh, because it already takes time to do something in one language in English, so I probably did not have enough time to do uh, it in Thai as well. But I think from now I see the need to perhaps write more in. Local language and also write mm -hmm. and convey messages in media that is not just for academic consumption. I think that's something that I perhaps uh, have not done enough. It's like being in emerging economies. Sometimes it feels like you have to career ladder. Where do you want to climb the ladder? One ladder is a very global ladder. The AIB, the people that we have met. I meet you. I uh, participate in AIB seminars and activities, but again, there is also another ladder at home, domestic ladder. That to become a uh, relevant scholar, you sometimes you do different things. Perhaps you uh, write more to the public. You educate the public in in ways that are different from what we normally do in Academy of International Business, and I think. Uh, One challenge is to be able to do both well. That's something that I still find that is my challenge. Uh, I know that in some countries uh, where, where the university is located in uh, actually the home country is like a, a foreign language. Uh, the the point system in the university is different. Uh, they have almost half the points for domestic language, right, the native language, and then almost double the points for international conferences, international publications. Is that the same thing in Thailand? Is it how it is? Uh, very much so. And particularly with the kind of the university ranking system or the mm -hmm. accreditation system. Mm -hmm. So scholars are now pushed to produce more in uh, respected journals, which are obviously in English. And uh, so universities are pushing more on that. And actually, there has been a recent debate in Thailand in the role of the scholar and where you should uh, put the emphasis on. Because with uh, university ranking and with accreditation, more effort has been pushed to, uh, to publish as uh, peer review academic articles in uh, Scopus and in uh, respect respectable ranking. But those are not always the area where you create local knowledge. It is not always where uh, people in the domestic context 
consume those kind of media. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is also a debate, uh, what's the role of academic in a society where you are actually pushed to understand where you live more, but at the same time you are pushed to produce in something that is more global. So obviously uh, when you try to publish or you try to uh, communicate, have a conversation with people who are more global, you cannot really go down into the detail of each context. So mm-hmm. I think it's interesting and I find it it's ironic that the uh, we talk about local versus global and actually scholarship and academia is very much something that you would see that it is now a kind of a paradigm that is being adopted uh, all over the world. The AACSB, the EQUIS, the kind of the accreditation and the mainstream academia that we have seen. Uh, people have to try to conform to that. Whereas the local context differences still uh, exist in academia, just as business. And I think that way uh, we are ironically trying to say that the field of international business is a very complex uh, field and we call for understanding of the context and the complexity. But at the same time, the scholarship of international business is very much, uh, if I may say, is a very ethnocentric uh, career path in the sense that, you know, you are expecting people to... uh, communicate in certain language uh, through certain media that are accepted and uh, are widely acknowledged in the field. So sometimes it feels a little uh, confusing and lonely to to do this because uh, to to be able to commit to the global context, you cannot do as much in the local context. And I find that it is ironic in the sense that uh, it is in the field of international business that I feel this way. Thank you. Uh, what did you learn from your biggest mistake or biggest failure? Uh, what did I learn? I, I think, you know, if, I, if you want to talk about a personal level, I think that I learned uh, to take life easier I think I have been pretty hard on myself. So I think that one of the uh, key lessons from mistake is that uh, you learn to uh, give yourself a break and you learn to to know that, you know, all lessons or all mistakes shape your life and how you actually uh, do something is because you're meant to and then you learn from it and then you don't uh, beat yourself too hard. I think that's one key lesson that I'm still trying to learn. Uh, on a personal level. Thank you. Uh, uh, So uh, let's talk about some research, uh, not about a particular paper, but overall your body of research. Say you're stranded on the uh, the road in a small village, Uh, locals are curious about you. How do you explain your research to them, to people who don't read uh, GIPS or Global Strategy Journal? Uh, Why is your research important? I would explain to them that, you know, uh, in countries such as Thailand, we see a lot of multinational companies investing in Thailand. But I am trying to explain how 
Thai companies or companies from countries that are normally the recipient of foreign direct investment are now also investing overseas and how their stories unfold and uh, how they expand overseas given their context of being in countries that might not be at the frontier of technology and innovation, the kind of the typical competitive advantage that are known to be affiliated with leading multinationals of the world or the leading multinationals of the world that we see in emerging countries. But we are also seeing a lot of emerging market firms that perhaps used to be the supplier of those companies in the same global value chain or the same supply chains. But how do those companies try to, to do better? And not just by being in the country and serve those multinationals, but how those companies also have emerge and become multinational companies themselves. And I would use them stories of the companies that they might be familiar with. Or I would sometimes uh, use the brand that they perhaps don't know that this is Thai brands going overseas. So those kind of things uh, give people uh, interest and said, oh, you know, uh, they didn't know that these are also some of the Thai companies that are doing a lot of international expansion. So that would be a kind of a, put it in a simple way to explain okay. to so, people who are not always studying. So, Pavita, how are you uh, motivated to write a paper or where does the uh, idea come from uh, when you're sitting in a um, idle curiosity, your mind is wandering off, um, you're, uh, you're, uh, how is the process working for you uh, about coming up with the research idea? Uh, I like to understand the current context and the path dependency of how companies have evolved. I think that a lot of times when we study uh, multinational companies, we tend to look at them when they have already been successful. And then we look at what they do from that point onward to become more of emerging markets. Many firms have come from a kind of a different history. And, uh, you know, we recognize all this importance in the field of business history. But to really link it to uh, see how companies have developed and how they have overcome perhaps the context that they have developed and then to, to move forward, it might be some different path that they have to take. Uh, for example, I give you an example of uh, we talk about business groups. We talk about conglomerates. And in the West, uh, the idea of conglomerate business that expand into unrelated industries might not be a business model that is well understood or it's understood not to be a very efficient way because why would you invest in an area that you do not know a lot about? But here, all the big business that are very dominant in Thailand they are all very much the kind of a conglomerate business group that do not expand vertically in their supply chain, but they also expand to become very horizontally uh, dominant as well in sometimes in areas that are uh, related. For example, uh, one of the main 
company in Thailand that is quite well known in food, chicken producing uh, protein meat. But that company is also quite dominant in the area of telecommunication, and now becoming more uh, dominant in the role of uh, multimedia and all those things. And how do you explain uh, that kind of uh, connectivity that firms that do not appear to be operating in the same industry, but they can manage to do well in different industries? And I think that's uh, one thing that uh, interests me. Another thing that uh, is increasingly interests me is how the business uh, feature in the society. I think we in in the Academy of International Business, we uh, obviously we look at the impact of multinational enterprise in in investing in horse economies and all that, but uh, often we tend not to look at the multinational enterprise and its impact on the home country. Uh, I sit in Thailand and I see the dominance of these big conglomerates and how that affects the small and medium enterprise in the country, how it might not be the most uh, nurturing environment that allows innovation to prosper. That sort of uh, social context becomes increasingly uh, interesting in my view, because I think that we, when we are in the Academy of International Business, when we look at emerging market multinationals, we look at the very few successful firms from a country, whereas the context of emerging countries, there are so many more companies that might not be there yet. And those are the companies that are the backbone for the economy. Uh, Thailand relies on more than 90% of small and medium enterprise. But the companies that we can study tend to be the largest in the country because they are publicly listed companies. They have uh, available data. So the irony and the contradiction of the situation on the ground and what is filtered into academia are something that I find is still missing. That's one thing. Second thing, I think the culture of studying business in Thailand or in other countries where firms are very prominent and dominant is that you tend to be very celebratory about the success of companies. And uh, you might not be as critical of the role of company in different contexts, the role of companies in local competition, the role of company in uh, allowing more firms to, to evolve. I think those are the issues that are important for the local context and the local knowledge. And uh, as I have more opportunity now to you know, look more at these areas, I think those are some issues that would interest me going forward. Uh, pay more attention to the issue of concern to everyday people and uh, the normal people, the, the general and the, the public more. Okay, thank you. So, Pavita, uh, <clears throat> if you could look into a crystal ball uh, and make a prediction about the future, maybe five to 10 years of IB, uh, especially in your area, uh, in your research uh, context, uh, what are the big challenges or what are the big 
uh, question that will be asked over the next uh, decade? Uh, very good question and very relevant at the moment. I think our field of international business was built when the world was globalizing. We believe in globalization that uh, we should have uh, transfer of capital, goods, people, and all that. But I think this is the moment when the world is most challenged, whether that concept of globalization is still the best option for everyone involved. And I think that uh, that's why we are hearing a lot about uh, reshoring, deglobalization, and all that. I think uh, that would become quite a big question and a big theme for scholars in international business to decipher how it would affect our belief. And in my field that is looking at firms from developing countries, I see that the fight between perhaps two giants to decouple, to deglobalize, uh, bear stronger impacts on smaller countries that have been part of the globalization. Take, for example, Thailand or countries in Southeast Asia. We were part of globalization because we are actually the companies that are active in the global value chain as the producers. We are the countries where multinationals locate here for efficiency, for looking for cost efficiency in their own cost advantage, and then they sell back to the rest of the world. When uh, that kind of paradigm is shifting, that countries may not want to do business together, how do those countries that have already invested in this system, how do they readjust? How do they see their next potential? How do they, at the same time, uh, look at the regional, at the domestic market more? to answer to the opening of the opportunities there. But at the same time, they have to maintain their role in what has already been established over the past three to four decades. And I think that would be uh, a challenge to, for academics like myself to try to understand how uh, international business that we used to think that it is a linear uh, going forward, globalization would lead to more integration among countries. But when that is now being challenged, I think that's one big first phenomenon. The second thing that I think would be very interesting for our field is that we uh, have not really looked at the interaction between uh, government policy and uh, how business is done. But we are seeing that now industrial policies, different countries are coming up with different uh, industrial policy in their own interests. And those industrial policy might not always be in the same interest for other countries. Look at what Trump has done or look at what uh, America has done with uh, trying to promote more reshoring into their country. That might not be in the same interest of other countries. So how, how do firms react? I think one of my paper, uh, my latest paper that I uh, published with Professor Gary Jareffi and Torben uh, Peterson, look at resilience. 
And we argue that resilience uh, is not the same for everyone. But at the moment, I think the world is looking at resilience as if it's driven by the interests of the major economies trying to promote their firm to relocate away from China or to reshore. And I think that there are a lot more nuances in the way that uh, firms from other countries also have to interact of the industrial policy of major economies and also how the industrial policy of their own countries feature into that kind of the big scheme of things. And I think I see more interaction between government policy and uh, business strategy going ahead. Thank you. Actually, proponents of globalization almost get angry at the, at the questions uh, when they see more nationalism or populism uh, increase uh, all around, and uh, they are more protective <laughs> than the king themselves. <laughs> so, um, uh, while you were going through the PhD program, um, uh, what was the best advice you received from your advisor? But <laughs> well, very good uh, advice. Uh, my supervisors were uh, Jeffrey Jones and Mark Casson. I did my PhD at the University of Reading. And uh, I think it was uh, perhaps one of them. I think it was Mark Casson who, who uh, gave me the advice that when you write, try to think of uh, your writing for your grandmother and try to keep your writing simple so that you can explain what you are doing to your own grandmother. And I think that was a very good advice that I still give my students that when you try to explain something, uh, make it very simple. And I think we academics tend to hide behind a very academic and sophisticated language. And uh, I also get that also. Uh, I think that that advice remains practical because I don't only write in academic journals. I write a lot in uh, newspaper uh, op-ed articles in uh, newspaper like the local English language or sometimes the regional one. And I get, uh, I get uh, questions from the editor that, you know, what do you mean? What are you saying? You know, say it directly. <laughs> Don't go around uh, the kind of complex language. What are you saying? That's something that uh, I get asked a lot from editors. And I think that that is a very good advice for uh, us academics when we write to try to think of what, how we can communicate to the lay person, to your grandmother, uh, to make... <laughs> Uh, so so when, understand you're, us. when you're training your own students uh, in the PhD program or doctoral students, well, what are some of the common mistakes that everyone uh, you see uh, make? Uh, what are the top three big mistakes that they do so that you will say, don't do this, don't do that, uh, to improve? I think the hardest thing uh, for me to train and to teach students is to ask the right question. And to be able to ask questions, because I think uh, education system in Thailand perhaps has not been trying to teach people to be analytical and critical. We are more or less based on road learning system. So students in high school learn more of the, the knowledge without being pushed 
to ask questions. This is also the kind of uh, education that reflects the context of education. Uh, Thailand and most Asian countries are very hierarchical society. So students perceive teachers as someone who is uh, more higher than them and they do not always want to ask questions because they think that if they ask stupid questions and it might be seen as bad. So to be able to ask critical questions, to be able to see why you are asking that question uh, is the most challenging thing to, to teach, to train students uh, for me at the undergrad level all the way up to the PhD level to ask questions beyond what are the factors that lead to ABC. You know, I, I find that very difficult and still quite a challenge to do that. What was the most difficult uh, skill that you had to learn and develop in the PhD program for yourself? I think that was the, the, the kind of the critical analysis, Let's thinking think, yes. of why okay. I'm asking this sort of questions. You know, I think that was my my most uh, important thing I learned from the PhD. I went into the PhD not really knowing what uh, PhD was all about because uh, business school in Thailand had the kind of historical being more like a training school. You teach people how to do business. It's not like an academic institution where you uh, are taught to read academic papers. And when I study in the business school myself, I did not have to read all these academic papers. So academic paper was in a way something that I learned uh, during my PhD years. So it was quite, uh, quite a challenge and a new uh, knowledge to, to learn and to, to transfer that to the, uh, to the Thai context. I think now a lot of uh, Thai scholars are looking at ways to, to, to publish more internationally. So that's, a kind of the thing that is needed very much nowadays. Thank you. Last question, Pavita, for the sake of time. What is a question that I should have asked you about heavens? You should have asked me uh, the question, if I have any question, and then I would ask you, what do you get out of doing this? What are uh, some of the academic idea that you get out of this? So that would well, be. Uh, I get a lot of things, first of all, get, get out of a lot of things. One is, uh, you remember the question about idle curiosity. I've got an AMR paper on idle curiosity about uh, creation versus discovery of uh, opportunities and uh, uh, challenges, basically, for, for an entrepreneur, entrepreneur firm, for, for instance. Then uh, another question was on. Um, uh, forgotten variables, things that are uh, underdeveloped, understudied. Well, I've got a chips paper on that one. So uh, I, I actually like to talk about uh, these uh, uh, challenging uh, thoughts about um, what is the received wisdom? Uh, where are we headed to? So I would like to see a, a progression toward of thought uh, towards something. And uh, the added benefit is to create a library of top scholars like yourself, uh, interesting people uh, in conferences. I was always a shy person. It was difficult for me to approach a big name. And um, 
uh, you would see these big names walking in these corridors and uh, you know their papers by heart, you know their citations, you know everything about the guy's research. But uh, there's a person behind that uh, face, right? Uh, and that person is actually quite interesting and he has accomplished a lot of things in his personal life. Uh, he comes from a completely different um, uh, uh, style. And I'm really curious about uh, the human side of things. And um, I, I was lucky, I had many uh, uh, mentors, I had many uh, advisors, and I loved uh, interacting with them because they were genuinely nice people. Not only great scholars, but nice people. I think that carries a lot more weight uh, in my book. Um, and I wanted these interviews to uh, bring out that thing uh, so other people can see. And in conferences, they don't need to be shy. They can just walk up to a person and say, oh, Pavida, you know, I would like to go and have this uh, triathlon with you, <laughs> train with you, and uh, why not we go? In one of the conferences, they were actually doing a running uh, club. Obviously, I'm not the running type. But uh, I found that thing very interesting uh, to get up at five in the morning to run in Philadelphia. Uh, that takes a lot of determination. But that was beautiful because, you know, you get uh, 10, 15 people in IB. Uh, and there is one more thing. It's very personal to, to, to be running with these people at five. Uh, in the streets yes. in Philadelphia. So that's what I get out of this thing. Uh, that's very good. Uh, Pavid, uh, thank you so much for your time. I enjoyed our conversation. I'm sure the audience will agree with me. Thank you. Thank you very much, Nikas. Thank you for including me. <laughs>